Welcome to the Recovery Edge podcast. My name is Alfredo and I'm an alcoholic. We have a special episode for you today as I'm joined by Audrey, who is the widow of a childhood friend of mine named Kevin. Kevin passed away from alcoholism about four and a half months ago. It was Audrey who broke the news on social media and I was heartbroken to say the least. I'm grateful that Audrey has given her time to share her experience, strength, and hope with us. So without further ado, let's get started. My daughter begged him to quit drinking. That really didn't seem to affect him either. I thought for sure that our daughter finding him on the ground would be kind of that trigger that would help him get help. But it is very true that unless you want help and you want to do it for you, you're not going to do it. So where did you grow up? I grew up in Gilcrest, so just down the street from here, really. Gilcrest, Colorado? Yep. Okay. Um, and, yeah, that's about, what is that, like 20 miles away from Frederick? Yep. How did you meet Kevin? Uh, crazy story. <laughs> we actually met at the bowling alley in Longmont. Um, one of his friends was one of my girlfriend's friends, and they called me out of the blue and said, come down and meet this guy. Well, I get there, and him and his friend ended up breaking a toilet. <laughs> why Long that, story. That, why that doesn't surprise me, you know? I'm just like, Kevin. Right? That's right. Yeah, so, you know, quick exit from the bowling alley, and I ended up driving him home, and we had a pretty good connection at that point. That's great. Yeah, I mean, a broken toilet is completely a, like a, an icebreaker, right? Right. Yeah, people <laughs> always ask, you know, that question, if you had to marry your spouse where you met them. Yeah. A broken toilet at a bowling alley does not sound like a very romantic place. Oh, that's great. It's, it's just the way it was supposed to be. Um, how long did you guys date? And what year was that anyways? It was in 99. So we met wow. in November of 99. Um, we dated for about a year. And on December 3rd, 2020, he asked me to marry him. And wow. we were married on June 23rd, 2021. Nope. 2001. <laughs> okay, because I was like thinking, that's a big jump, or that's a lot of time, but it's 2001. It's 2001. Yep. So in 2000, you guys were really hitting it off, and then 2001, you guys got married, or he asked you to marry you? Yep. How about uh, any children? We do have two kids. Um, we didn't have kids for the first five years we were married. Um, everything was fantastic. We had our daughter in 2006, mm-hmm. and then a son in 2010. Nice. Um, so then you guys were fairly young, like in your twenties at this point, right? I was only 20 when we got married and Kevin was 21, 22. Wow. Same age, but kids. Yeah. <laughs> what were those first uh, few years like together? They were great. I mean, we were constantly hanging out with friends. We were going dancing. We would go to movies. I mean, you name it, we were doing it. Camping whatever. (laughs) Yeah. Spending lots of time with family, the normal hangout things. (laughs) Normal hanging out things. Yep. That's cool. And, um, Kevin, you guys stayed around the area where we grew up, right? Yep. We actually lived in Kevin's childhood home. Oh, okay. So you guys were right, right up the street up there. Yep. (laughs) That's great. Um, you guys made the move to Frederick, which is just like a mile away, if right. that, you know. About six years ago. About six years ago. Yep. Cool. Um, so you guys had like a great marriage, you know, come, you know, I'm, I'm looking at the first few years and yeah, actually 
sounds like things were okay. Yep. Just, For the first okay. 10 years, it was really, really great. Um, in March of 2009, mm-hmm. his father died of cancer. And that's kind of when things started to change. Tell me about that. What What did you notice that started to change? Um, He started drinking more. I mean, both of us would have a drink now and then. Because mm-hmm. um, you do that when you go out and bowl or whatever. And in after his dad died, it hit him really, really hard. He and his dad were extremely close. And he started drinking more. It was not a every once in a while thing. It was a every night kind of thing. But even then, he still wasn't drinking excessively. Mm. Now, when he started drinking more, was this maybe like on the weekdays as well as weekends? Was it just like from tragedy, like tragic drinking, like just kind of getting over his father? Just think it was hard for him to process. Like I said, his him and his dad were extremely close, and I just I don't think he ever actually processed that. Yeah. And I think the drinking was kind of there to take away some of that pain. Mm-hmm. Did it have any effect on your family at this point? Not at first. I mean, looking back, I can see that it did have an effect, but at the time, I just thought you know we found out that we were pregnant right after Dennis had passed and with a second. And he wasn't as helpful during that pregnancy. He wasn't as helpful after I came home from the hospital as he was with our first. And so I just thought it was kind of the stress of having that second kid. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, hindsight's twenty twenty, and I think it was more he was drinking more and more. He wasn't necessarily telling me how much he was drinking, but he wasn't, like, drunk every single night. Right. So, somewhere down the line here, his drinking must have increased where it got a little bit dangerous. Is there a point in in the marriage that you remember when you kind of feel, when you started to get worried? Yep. Um, the year after we moved to our house in Frederick, so about five years ago, mm-hmm. um, the drinking definitely became excessive. He would sit in the garage. He wouldn't spend much time with any of us. Um, he was very distant with the kids. Um, our son never really had much of a relationship with him just because he started to pull away so much. Um, and then about three years ago, it got really bad. And he was diagnosed as a diabetic, which I am sure is 100% the alcohol. Um, and in October of that year, he had fallen in the garage when it was dinner time, and he knocked himself out. And my daughter's the one who found him. And he was transferred to the emergency department in Longmont, and he got combative with the nurses there, and they actually sent him to detox in Boulder County. I was kind of hoping that that would change things and get him the help that he needed, and while it did for maybe a month, he went straight back to drinking, and it was even heavier. Hmm. Now, this is in already when you guys were in Frederick, huh? Yep. About... Five years ago, maybe. Yep. So, what did you tell him? So at that point, after his accident, and I told him he had to quit drinking. Um, that didn't really seem to help. My daughter begged him to quit drinking. That really didn't seem to affect him either. I thought for sure that our daughter finding him on the ground would be kind of that trigger that would help him get help. 
but it is very true that unless you want help and you want to do it for you, you're not going to do it. And unfortunately, I wish I would have been louder. I kind of kept it from friends and family, how much he was drinking, because I didn't want friends and family to judge him or myself for staying with an alcoholic. Um, I can say Kevin never got physical or violent when he was drinking, so I know when people say that you've stayed with an alcoholic for that long, that's one of the first questions they always ask was, did he hurt you? No, I can say that with 100% certainty. Yeah. Kevin at this point was still getting up, going to work, and functioning like a normal person. Yeah, for the most part. I mean, he would miss a day of work maybe every other week because he wasn't feeling great, but he was still, for the most part, getting up and going to work. Um, Most friends had no idea how much he was drinking. I can definitely say family did not know how much he was drinking. What was Kevin's job? Kevin was a laborer for a gutter company. Uh, Front Range Seamless Gutters is a fantastic company. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, They were very supportive, too, and... You know, Dean was always just telling him to get better and to get healthy. And, you know, I don't know if his coworkers knew how much he was actually drinking or if they were just more concerned. Because, like I did mention, he was diagnosed as a diabetic and he never really got that under control either. So his diagnosis uh, as a diabetic, did that come after he had his accident? Yep. It was... In response to when they did blood work. Oh, that they found it? Yep. How did your guys' lifestyle change at that point? And did he try to curb his drinking at all? Um, He tried for about a month. He was really good about checking his blood sugars again for about a month. Um, Unfortunately, the medicine that they put him on kind of gave him some really bad side effects. He wasn't feeling great from the medicine. He wasn't sleeping well because of the medicine. So he just decided he wasn't diabetic and he wasn't going to take the medicine. Hmm. How long, uh, I mean, did he get any side effects from that behavior or like, did he feel, cause I imagine like you feel crappy if you don't like start taking what you're told to take. You can, um, at first he didn't really have those side effects. Um, I can say the last few months of his life were yeah. probably the roughest. So before we get to, you know, the more recent time, while he's still, you know, being, uh, you know, doing his diabetic treatment, he kind of gives up on it, um, but he's still uh, drinking. Did it become like daily or? Very much so. Um, And he was drinking hard liquor. I mean, he would drink Jaeger and Red Bull. So did you notice when that switched? Like, um, or actually, I, I never asked how, how we started. Was it just beer or? It was just beer. He started with just a couple a night, which, yeah. you know, no red flags there. People go home, have a couple drinks after work. Mm-hmm. There wasn't any problem. Um, it slowly became more and more beer. Then he started drinking vodka on top of it. And then when he switched to drinking Jaeger... He would not only drink Jaeger and Red Bull, he would have a shot of Fireball with it, too. So not only was it the hard liquor, it was a mix of liquor. I I can say that he stayed away from tequila because we knew that that was kind of a trigger and it would make him angry. (laughs) 
So he did listen to some of the things that I requested, and he did not bring tequila home for that reason. Hmm. Were there any nights or even just days where you were just scared? Definitely in the last year. Um, if he would stay home, I, COVID kind of made things worse. You know, work hours were a little bit slower. So when he would be home before the kids would get home from school or before him, I would get home from work, it was always a question of which Kevin would be there when we got there. So is that because Kevin got to work from home more? No. They're how just, did COVID change like his habits and his He just daily didn't life? have as many hours at work because, you know, when you're going to people's homes, especially people in Colorado, a lot of times they didn't want people coming. And since they did gutters and were repairing houses, they'd have to be in contact with the homeowner. Yeah. And so a lot of homeowners just decided to wait and have their gutters done at a later time until COVID was not such a big scare. So then we're finding Kevin here has more time to not work, Mm -hmm. you know, and probably found more time to just drink. Is that what we're thinking? I I think so. I I truly don't know how much he was drinking towards the end. Mm -hmm. Um, He kept it in the garage. He didn't bring it in the house, which I guess is one good thing to be thankful for. But I don't know for sure how much he drank on a daily basis towards the end. Wow, this is crazy. So he kind of isolated he did. Into the garage. Yep. And um, that's where he did all his drinking? Yep. He might bring, you know, like a twisted tea in once in a while, but very seldom did he come inside because he would basically be in the garage until he came into bed. Were these rules that you set in place? They were not. It's just That was like just his thing, huh? Did the kids say anything to him you know, during this COVID phase where you're, you guys are probably noticing that the drinking is increasing. Are they worried? My daughter did. Um, she mentioned it a couple times, but my son, no, because Kevin never really had a relationship with him. So he never, he never said anything. Plus if either of the kids really said anything, he would get very defensive with them. Hmm. And anytime he spoke to the kids, especially in the last year or so, it was always very negative. Um, is that, do you kind of say that's because of where he was at physically or mentally from? Definitely, I think so. Um, a lot of times by the time he would come in and start having any kind of conversation with us, he was already pretty drunk. So did you notice that his behavior, besides being drunk, like... When he wasn't drunk, was he more moody? Like, did his behavior, personality kind of flip at some point in this marriage? His personality didn't, but he slept a lot more. Hmm. Like, the weekends, he would spend the majority of them in bed. Unless he had something to do, he just slept. Did you have any friends that you were able to, like, chat with? about your situation? Um, My best friend was always very supportive. Um, She was one that I would lean on because I knew she wouldn't go tell thousands of people what exactly was going on. Again, like I said before, I didn't want people to judge me for not leaving an alcoholic. I didn't want people to judge him because he still did do family functions or he would go to parties once in a while at his brother's house and I didn't want them to judge him as being the alcoholic that was there. 
Mm. So then the question now is like the amount that you put up with um, in this situation, why? You know, it's like, is it because Kevin was still Kevin or? He was still Kevin. And there were still some really good days. Those days that he didn't get up and find drinking first thing in the morning or immediately when he got home, he'd come in and have a conversation with us and it would be the Kevin that I met 20 years ago. Yeah. And those glimmers of hope made it really hard to put down the we're leaving if you don't quit. And unfortunately, I wish that I would have said something like that a lot sooner than where we ended up. <laughs> what was Kevin like when you didn't recognize him personality wise? Um, Cause he, he wasn't very, physical or anything like that. No, he was very lethargic. He would slur his words. He would stumble. Um, just your typical really drunk person kind of attitude, but he was never violent I, ever. Um, he would just kind of get, sloppy all of this seems really harmless right right like, so why leave <laughs> he's not abusing you nope he's not tearing up the house he usually just stayed to himself so it was fairly easy some days to just kind of stay away from it and stay out of it and just let him be mm-hmm. which again hindsight's twenty twenty, and i really wish that we all would have made a lot more noise. But what you're saying here could be super helpful, you know, mm-hmm. to maybe somebody else who might be involved in a marriage with a, with somebody who's drinking dangerously, but we could convince ourselves that it's harmless because like you said, he wasn't really hurting anyone. He wasn't violent. And there wasn't. were still days that he was still Kevin. Yeah, that just blows my mind um, that that uh, he maintained Kevin so well, mm-hmm. but still, you know, this got him. Well, this and disease got him. Up until January of this year, he was still going to work every day. Yeah. Um, towards the end of January, he started feeling not really well, and that's kind of when things went downhill and they went downhill very rapidly. What were the, some, some of the symptoms or what was he telling you about the way he felt? He was a hundred percent convinced that he had COVID number one. Yeah. <laughs> um, he was having a hard time breathing, which is a COVID symptom. Um, he just couldn't catch his breath. He kind of had this weird sinus thing going on. We had gone to one doctor and the doctor said that he was having a hard time breathing just because of his excess weight. Um, and probably he had some hepatitis liver, like alcoholic hepatitis of the liver at that point. And that doctor just recommended that he cut back on drinking. It wasn't, there were no tests done at that time. It was just a, you'll be fine. You need to cut back on this. When he was diagnosed with diabetes, were there any test results on his liver at that point? Um, his liver enzymes were high at that point, um, but not off the charts where it was alarming kind of situation. Right, because the reason he went in was for like an accident, mm-hmm. you know, like it wasn't 
anything to do with not feeling well. Correct. But now we're at the point where he's not feeling very well. Um, so he's told to cut to cut his drinking. Mm-hmm. How did he respond to that? He cut his drinking for about a week. And then because he wasn't feeling good, he started drinking more again. Um, and then when he had some follow-up appointments, they were video. Unfortunately, on a video chat, you can't see how yellow someone is turning. And even when I mentioned it to the doctor, they didn't really seem concerned about it at that point in time. But he was turning yellow. (laughs) I knew there was something more than just a sinus infection because you don't turn yellow from that. How did Kevin feel about turning yellow? He didn't think he was yellow. He just said it was the lighting. And we had a friend staying with us at the time who also is an alcoholic. So when Kevin had tried to cut back, the first response from him was, you're such a quitter. I'm like, okay, that's not a bad thing (laughs) in this situation. So I don't think that having that person staying with us for that month helped the situation. A month? And you called him a quitter? Yep. I actually had to ask him to leave when Kevin was in the hospital. Was, uh, have you guys spoken since Kevin's passing? We haven't. Um, he found out about Kevin's passing, unfortunately, on Facebook and immediately got mad at me. It wasn't me who posted anything. It was another family member. And when I called him out on it, he just hasn't responded to me since. That's okay. He did say, and I'm, I'm hoping that it is true, that he was going to check himself into jail. He had some outstanding business in Nebraska that he needed to take care of, and I'm hoping that that is what he did and that he's getting the help that he needed to. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, at this point then, we're, you know, Kevin isn't feeling good, but visits to doctors are just not how they used to be before COVID and it sucks. It's all video. It is. You know, Kevin not only was affected by alcoholism, but COVID, you know? Yep. COVID really did a number on the healthcare system, for sure. He finally did get a face-to-face appointment on Valentine's Day. And the doctor said, your oxygen levels are so low, I am calling an ambulance to take you to the hospital. And with as stubborn as Kevin is and always has been and always was he said no let me go home and my wife will take me (laughs) is that what happened that is what happened did he make it home was that the final visit to a hospital it was this was february huh yep february 14th and i took him to the emergency room And we were in the ER for about six hours before they checked him into a room because they decided they needed to run some tests before they could let him go. Um, Because COVID hours still had some pretty heavy restrictions on things, I was the only person that could see him at the hospital, and I had to leave by 8 at night. Mm -hmm. So by the time we got checked into a room, there was only about 45 minutes left of visiting hours. The doctor wasn't going to be around for a while, so I went ahead and left. And during the night that night, they transferred him to the ICU. What did they tell you? Um, 
Actually, I didn't find out that he was in the ICU until the next morning, and I went to his old room, and there was not him in that room. <laughs> so I had to go back down to the front desk and ask, and they're like, oh, we had to transfer him to the ICU. Um, they were getting ready to call you and notify you of that this morning. So when I went up there, he was having such a hard time breathing that they had to put him on a ventilator. He had three liters of fluid drained off his abdomen. That is what was causing his shortness of breath because there was just so much fluid in his system. What's the fluid from? His liver and kidneys weren't working. So when I found out a whole bunch of things about your liver, when your liver stops working, that is like as important as your heart. Your liver can cause you to not blood clot. So if you get cut, you can bleed out. It will affect your kidneys. It affects your heart. It can affect your lungs. Um, but because of all this excess fluid that was built up, he was having a hard time breathing. Wow. Um, okay. So then now we know why he's in ICU. Did you guys speak while he was in ICU at all? Or, I mean, on the ventilator, you're nope. out, aren't you? He was sedated. Um, I remember the last thing I said to him when I left on Tuesday, Valentine's Day was a Tuesday this year. And it was when he was still in the regular um, hospital room, I said, get better so you can go back to work. Those were the last words I said to my husband that I know that he heard. He probably wanted to go back to work. I'm sure he did. He was not one of those guys to sit around and do nothing. So I know with as sick as he was and him being home as often as he was, he was not feeling good. But by that point, I was just so angry because he let alcohol take so much control of everything that my responses to him were not very friendly usually. Um, you were frustrated. It was beyond frustrated because we had just bought this house six years ago. We both needed that income to make the mortgage payments, to keep the cars running, you know. All and you're not things. really even mad at Kevin. You're just mad at alcoholism yep. and what it's done Yep. to your family. Kevin was still there <laughs> when yes. he wasn't drunk. Yeah. So it was very difficult. Um and he was in the hospital, so he went in on the 14th, and he passed away on the 20th. He was there the whole time. A week. Yep. It was a Sunday morning that he actually passed away. But because of COVID restrictions, um, I was he could only have one visitor a day. Mm -hmm. Well, I didn't want other people to go see him because what if I got the chance to talk to the actual doctors? Right. Because you only have small windows where you can catch them. Um, on that Wednesday, I talked to the ICU doctor. And she said that his levels were starting to get better, but they were going to probably have to put a feeding tube in um, because he hadn't eaten for, you know, a couple days at that point. I don't think he was eating a whole lot at home that mm -hmm. last week before he went to the hospital either. Three liters of fluid on your abdomen. I'm sure you're not very hungry. Yeah. Um, and when wow. I was talking to her, she kind of gave that glimmer of hope that things were kind of turning the corner. He might be getting better. And then it wasn't until Thursday afternoon that I talked to the gastrointestinal doctor and she laid it out there and it was a pretty bleak diagnosis. Um, she said that if he was to leave the hospital, he would have to have a transplant. In order to get on that transplant list, he would have to be sober for six months and she didn't think he would make it past three months. And that was if... He left the hospital. And so I sat in his hospital room, again, all alone, 
without being able to talk to him because he's sedated. And I just got more and more frustrated. And I finally went out to the nurse's station. And up until this point, all of the nurses were like, you were handling this so well. You're so calm. You seem very collected and you seem very reasonable and understanding about everything. And I went out there and I slammed my hands on the table and I'm like, what are we doing? Why is he on a ventilator? Why are you trying to do a feeding tube if the end result is going to be the same, whether it's now or in three months? And the nurse came over and she's like, I understand what you're asking. She's like, you can make the decision to stop the treatment now. And I told them, I was like, had I known on Tuesday that putting him on a ventilator meant he would not come off of the ventilator, because they just wanted to put him on the vent to drain the fluid. And then he couldn't get his oxygen levels back up. I was like, I would have said no, because when his dad died, we both had very serious conversations about what we wanted if we got to the point where we were sick and in the hospital. Ventilators, feeding tubes were not an option for Kevin. Um, anybody who knew him knew how active he was. To be sedated and having to be waited on hand and foot, he would have been so mad. <laughs> and I told them that. And so the nurses kind of gave me some information and told me to go ahead and go home that evening because it was pretty late. I hadn't really talked to his mom, his brothers, anything. And they told me to talk to them and see what they thought. And my first thought was, what if they fight me on this decision? They didn't know how bad things were. They didn't know how the last three years have gone. Um, none of them knew how incredibly addicted he was to alcohol. Um, when I talked to his brother, his brother immediately said, I support whatever you say because you were the one who lived with him. You were the one who knows. And even when I talked to his mom um, later on that Friday, she agreed as well. So on Saturday, they allowed us to go in more than one person at a time. We were able to go in and say goodbyes, and we turned off the machines and ventilators on Saturday morning. At this point, when you're thinking about if you didn't do that and you had three more months of this situation, how were you envisioning that would that would go, you know, three months? Well, in the and three then, months would have only been if he could leave the hospital. Um, did you wonder, though, like, even if he did, best case, that's your best case scenario. Like, he leaves, but then he passes in three months. I was very scared at that point because if he did come home, mm -hmm. he'd have to have doctor appointment after doctor's appointment, and he refused to go. I mean, this is why we got into such bad shape yeah. to begin with. He'd have to follow up with those. He'd have to not drink. And I am still to this day 100% convinced that if he went home and was told not to drink, but you also can't do everything else that you want to, he would have drank. So he would never have gotten put on a transplant list if he even made it past, past that six months. If he made it to six months. Yeah. Wow. How would you describe the last three years of your marriage with him? Um, we were just kind of like ships passing in the wind, honestly. He'd stayed in the garage. The nights that he would come in early just ended in fights. He would argue with the kids. He would get mad that I would defend the kids. Then he would go back outside. So yeah. the last three years, nothing was great. Um, he went to family holiday things, but everything else he just kind of stopped going to altogether. 
started isolating a lot. Yep. Did he ever think about getting help or mention it? Or like, Never. The only thing that he ever said when I talked to him about it was, I can quit when I want to. I don't believe those words, and I wish I would have been louder when I said that. And I wish I would have insisted that he got help. Well, but again... <laughs> you can insist all you want. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yep, until they're ready. And I just... I don't know. I hope that whatever demons were causing him to drink as much while he was here are gone now. And I hope oh, that yeah. he is reunited with his dad and is in much better place than we are. <laughs> you know, you might have, it sounds like you, you kind of have some regrets, like you wish you could have done this or would have done this or that, but there's nothing you could have said or done um, in my experience, that could make a, you know, a switch flip. Like, there's nothing that people say that turn on a light bulb. A lot of times there's really just not. Right. Um, so your efforts in keeping your marriage together and staying with him to the end are, like, more than a lot of people even do, you know? I had started thinking about leaving. And of when course, I would think about leaving, normal. the concern would be, I'm going to find him dead because he's going to overdo it one night. Yeah. So that was just as scary as the thought of trying to leave and get the kids and I out of that situation. So in my opinion, it was kind of a lose, lose, no matter which way I went on that one. It really is. It really is. Because I don't um, think us leaving would have made him want to quit drinking. No. And you know, Kevin here isn't unique in this situation family members and i i say this as an alcoholic myself family members couldn't get me sober they could tell me blue in the face you know i'm messing up doctors couldn't get me sober you know psychiatrists for a job for for a girlfriend it just had to take whatever it took before i hit that bottom right and it wasn't just one bottom either you know <laughs> So he's not unique in this. You know, so there's nothing like wrong with his thinking. Right. You know, um, some of us do take it to the bitter end. And then some of us jump off that elevator. But there's no science to it or equation. You know, it's really, I don't know if you want to call it a God thing, a, a, a luck thing or what. I have no explanation. But I know that it's tough and it's sad. It is, and as I've learned more about what Kevin was going through those last few weeks, I can only imagine how scared he was. Um, liver cirrhosis, you can be diagnosed with that one day and have years of ill health. Yeah. And sometimes you don't find out until it is way too late to do anything about it, and that's basically where Kevin was. Um, after researching some of this a little bit more, there's also a syndrome, it's WKS. Um, some refer to it as wet brain syndrome. The side effects from that, blurred vision, stumbling, hallucinations, um, double vision, unsteadiness. Kevin was suffering from all of that. And on top of that, his medication was giving him nightmares. <laughs> so those last few weeks of his life, I 
can only imagine how scared that man had to have been. Um, there were a couple nights where he woke up freaking out that there were snakes in the bed. It was my hair. I mean, I literally cut two feet off of my hair in January because I was like anything to help him. Cause this is scary. I wasn't sleeping. He wasn't sleeping. Um, the night that I took him to the hospital, I actually slept all through the night. It was the first time in months that I was able to sleep the whole night just because of his tossing and turning and all the issues that he was having on top of it. So it was, those last few weeks had to have been really, really scary from his side. Yeah, I bet. Was there ever a conversation in the car, like on the way home from the hospital where he first was diagnosed with, I don't know, when maybe you would think that this is the the light that needed to be shined finally, like where it was just like, Kevin, like, do you see what's going on here? Nope. When I brought him home from that time when he was in detox, I did not speak to him until we got almost all the way home. He looked at me. He said he was sorry and then asked me to stop at the liquor store before we got home. Yeah. And guess what I did? I stopped at the liquor store because I didn't want there to be a fight. <laughs> yeah. You must have felt defeated at that point. Yeah. I mean, you know, when you've lived with someone for 20 years, you kind of hope that they listen to you. And the pleading and the begging him to quit, it kind of just went in one ear and out the other. Yeah. And as much as I say I wish I would have made more noise and had more people aware of how sick he was. I don't know that that would have changed the situation, but at least I would have had somebody who knew the situation and I could have talked to more. Yeah. It, to me, um, it doesn't, well, why don't you tell me if, how many years do you think, do you estimate that he drank heavily? Um, probably the last three years is when it really got bad. Um, prior See, that's to such that. That's a shocker to me. Just three years of... Extremely heavily drinking. I, the Jaeger that he was drinking were the 200 milliliter bottles. So those are 8 to 12 shots, I think, yeah. if you actually measure them properly. He was drinking that a night. Wow. And in some nights, he would have vodka or, like I said, fireball on top of it. It just... It depended on who stopped by that evening. Just took him so fast. It did. So... It really happened fast. Wow, that's an eye-opener. So, well, I knew Kevin. I Actually, I saw Kevin at a, at a gas station in Longmont maybe a couple of years ago, and uh, he was working, mm -hmm. you know, and we were, like, just briefly catching up, and we're like, yeah, we should go, like, have coffee or something. Um, I was already sober myself, you know, and I remember thinking, yeah, like, I don't drink beer anymore. Or I don't really drink. And I didn't, like, tell Kevin that at all because right. he was like, yeah, we should go, like, have a drink. And I was, like, thinking, yeah, we'll go have coffee somewhere during the day. And then I was, like, thinking, he probably wants to go have a beer and, like, talk about the old days, I bet. <laughs> you know? And I was like, oh, well, I'd have to have that weird conversation with him. Like, dude, I had to quit or whatever. But um, that was the last time I saw Kevin, I think, um, and talked to him. Now, back in, like, middle school, we were, like, like these pranksters in, in, in junior high and stuff. And we were like always like making fun of each other and, 
you know, sometimes we'd get out of hand because, you know, we have no filter, you know. Right. And his older brothers would like, or his older brother would like come and threaten to kick my ass and whatever. And it was like, oh, my God, he's such a bully, I thought, you know. But, you know, I was a bully too. It was it was just boys being boys, you know right. what I mean? And he's like forever in our childhood. Like I have a couple other friends who knew him closely too. Mm-hmm. I mean, we lived in the same town here, you know, rode bikes and stuff and, uh, you know, Kevin was always hovering around and just uh, just part of our, our story of our childhood, you know, like, and his little brother too, Steven, he went to, he was in my sister's grade and stuff, and we were always just clowning on each other all the time, and uh, I, I kind of miss, you know, I don't, when I uh, went to the funeral though, I, I know it hit me hard because I just feel like I missed an opportunity, you know, yeah. to either just chat with them or like like just to even just to catch up, you know, like you miss those opportunities when you just see somebody that, you know, and you're like, yeah, we're going to catch up, you know, we are. And then it just never happens. And then before you know it, it doesn't happen anymore because it's impossible. Right. So, yeah, um, I have a, a picture. I wish I would have found it, but all my photos are like actual photos. I have no idea where they're at, you know. <laughs> could be in my dad's house, my mom's, whatever. But um it was like my 12th birthday he was he came to my party and uh, I opened up this box and it was like my very first computer and I was just like mind blown. I mean it was a little black and white computer, you know, back in 19 what, 91 to who knows. Right. But you know, Kevin was there and we were all excited and everything. It was really cool. Um that's kind of how I knew Kevin and uh just a childhood to a high school buddy. And so it was really, uh, it was really sad when I heard that he passed. Um, but then when you posted the reason it hit me like twice as hard because I was like, shit, he, he has what I have. And I didn't even know because I didn't sit down and talk to him when I could have, you know, and he was really good at hiding it. Yeah. I, I, so weird because I would never have thought when I met him, you know, I mean, when I met him, I was just like, yeah, I, I bet he's like, you know, a couple beers, whatever, because he's a, he's a blue collar guy, you right. know? And I'm like, yeah, that's normal. Right. Right. I right. don't know. Absolutely. So I was coming home and just having a couple beers after work. That's normal until it just kind of gets away from us. And it happens quickly. And sometimes you don't realize how much more they're drinking and how, much they're drinking like I said he could have been drinking heavier for a few more years than I know of I just know for sure of the last three and it was a lot um took him fast it really did well and he was drinking a lot I don't think anybody could have (laughs) made it much further with as much as he was drinking at that time I at the memorial service the one thing And I didn't know half the people that were there. I mean, you saw how many people were there. There was standing room only in the church. Yeah. They were down the stairs and around the corner. Um, I was very touched by how many people came. But the overwhelming response that I got was, he was such a great guy. Yeah. (laughs) And he really was. Mm -hmm. Except for us at home that saw that different side. And I'm not saying that he wasn't still a good guy. He was still there sometimes, but... Those nights that the alcohol just overtook, and if we didn't have dinner for him early enough, 
it was really bad because then he would just, I don't know that he ate a whole lot during the day and he would drink all night. (laughs) So if we didn't have some kind of meal to help offset some of that alcohol, it was lights out for the evening, which is why when he was home a lot before we were, I was always very nervous that he would be passed out when the kids came home from school because they got home before I did. I did not want the kids to find him like that. So the one bright side to this was he wasn't at home when he passed because I would have hated for the kids to find him. What's your favorite memory of Kevin? What's my favorite memory of Kevin? Probably him working on his 66 Ford F-100 with his dad. Cool. They replaced the motor in that vehicle three times in the first five years we were married. Wow. And he ended up putting in a huge 410 interceptor motor and then blew three transmissions almost immediately (laughs) because the motor was just too big for the transmission that was in it. So then he finally got smart, put in a new transmission as well. That was big enough for that motor. And I still have that truck sitting in my driveway. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. It was his project. And his dad and him put a lot of time and a lot of money into that project. (laughs) Hey, did Kevin ever tell you about a coffin that they had? Oh, yes, 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 yes. (laughs) Tell me about this cop. Because we were kids, you know, we were just like pointing like, oh, my God. Dude, did you know Kevin, like, they have a coffin, you know? And, you know, we'd start making up stories. what was that? Dennis and his Halloween decorations. I'm telling you, that was the most... I think he just liked to scare the living daylights out of people because he would sit in that coffin on Halloween <laughs> and scare <laughs> trick-or-treaters. I love that family. <laughs> I mean, when I was a kid, I was like, these guys are menaces. But so were we. But looking back, just boys being boys. Four of them. And awesome. unfortunately, you know, Kevin's older brother had died too in an accident. Um, Totally not his fault. It was a trucking company. Person ran a stop sign, and so his older brother was killed back in 93. That's right. Yeah, so a lot of tragic things that have happened over Kevin's life that I'm not sure anybody has really processed, and I just think that both of those deaths, his brother many years ago and then his dad more recently, I think those both just haunted him. And Kevin, as a, a teenager, a young boy, never really, like, talked about that or made it a thing. Like, he was always all jokes all the time. Always. Jokes all the time. That's how he dealt with things a lot of time, was joking about it. Yeah. Um, he also had a BB in his eye. I don't know if you knew this one. He actually had a BB in his eye. He got shot when you guys, I don't know which guys, they were playing video games. And a BB got stuck in his eye. He actually went home, just kind of put an eye patch on. Apparently it was bleeding. His mom came home in a snowstorm. Got really, really mad. (laughs) I wonder who did that. I couldn't remember the name of the guys who did that at this point, but I know it was here in town. (laughs) Yeah, well, when we're off air, we can start looking at a list of names because it's a small place. Right. And most of those people are still here. So I'm sure. Yeah. But yeah, so he did have a BB in his eye. He liked to joke about it. I mean, it was never, uh, oh crap, I could actually not see again. It was always, 
I have a BB in my eye. I don't like the movie A Christmas Story because of it. It was always some kind of joke. He actually had the x-rays, and he would show it to people because nobody Seriously? believed him. Yeah. <laughs> wow. The thing, you know, t- childhood back then, you know. And Drinking he, out of hoses, shooting BB guns, <laughs> eyes, you know, whatever. It really does happen. Don't shoot BB guns at your friend's eyes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I hope it was. I don't think it was me. I, I shot a BB gun at my cousin right in the ankle once. <laughs> he buckled down and cried. <laughs> and I'm I don't sure they I hurt. Ever. Yeah, they must have. Um, thank you so much for doing this. Of course. If I'm, I can help one person, that is the best thing that could come out of this. If you could give that one person a device, somebody in your situation, mm-hmm. what would you tell them? Don't give up. I know that, you know, years and years and years of asking Kevin to stop drinking never worked for me. But if I would have had two more months, could my nagging have done something differently? I don't know. We'll never know. But don't give up. Get help. Find an Al-Anon meeting, which, by the way, I never went to. And I learned about after Kevin passed. And I wish I would have known. Because I think... I could have at least had support from a different way. Um, but yeah, get help if you can for that person. Again, I know that until that person wants to recover themselves, it's not really going to happen. But maybe the nagging of a significant other, a brother, a sister, a cousin, will one day trip that switch to at least make them think that they want help. Now, before we go, why don't you tell us what your life is like after Kevin now? It's very strange. Um, It has been very peaceful. So we have been without Kevin now for four and a half months, roughly. Mm. Um, But we don't have to go home and wonder what mood Kevin's in. We don't have to go home and have the yelling match between Kevin and our son because our son doesn't like chili. I mean... You know, it was silly things that would cause these huge arguments every night. And that hasn't happened. Um, There are days that are extremely hard. Yesterday was a pretty rough one for me. It would have been our 21st anniversary yesterday. Mm. Um, Father's Day was extremely rough for me. I got to sign a card for my dad, and my kids couldn't do so. Yeah. So there are days here and there that it's a lot harder than others, but... For the most part, we are truly okay. And I don't think, I don't want to say that people don't understand that, but they didn't live in our shoes the last three years, so they do not know what being at home in the evenings was like. Correct. So it has been extremely peaceful, and I think it's given myself and the kids time to kind of adjust to this new normal that we have. And I don't... Hunter never had that same relationship. Jordan had a great father for the first four years of her life. He took her fishing. She has memories of all these great times. And Hunter doesn't really have that. So, you know, the emotions from my kids are definitely different, too. Because my daughter will have her bad days. And my son really hasn't seemed to have one of those breaking moments yet, which I am just holding on, hoping that it doesn't come. (laughs) Mm. but knowing that it very well could. 
How old are your kids? 16 and 12. Okay. Your boy is 12. Yep. Well, and um, Kevin was a boy of boys, playing in the dirt, playing in the mud. He wrestled. My son is very much into math and science. That did not jive with Kevin's thinking of the way a boy should be. So there was always that tension, too, because Hunter wasn't the man's boy kind of situation. He wasn't doing the sports. He wasn't. Hunter doesn't like sports. He's never been to that type of thing. Wow. And so that was always kind of a point of contention, too. So it's just. I mean, if you would have told me that Kevin would have had a son that is into math and science and stuff, I would have been like, this Kevin? That's amazing. <laughs> yep. Straight A's this year. His oh first year in middle school. He's got yeah. a genius kid. He is. Congratulations on that. Yeah. He's pretty special. And my daughter, you know, in her own right, while she's not super high on the ath- or academics, uh-huh. sure. she is just a great person. Yeah. And she wants to help people. <laughs> hey, we need people like that. We do. For sure. But, you know, she wasn't getting the grades that Kevin wanted her to get, so... Of course, that was always a fight, too. You have one kid who's getting straight A's, and you're mad about that. And the other kid is not getting straight A's, and you're mad about that. (laughs) It was like, let's let's actually evaluate. We have two very different people here. (laughs) Well, to me, it sounds like you guys are on your way to just better days, you know. And, And not because Kevin is gone, but because you guys are learning about... I don't know if it's, it's life in general or just how to process pain, just growing. I think that's what I'm really looking for here yep. is growth. And you guys have growth and so much of it left. Right. It's got to be a little exciting, really. It kind of is. <laughs> yeah. I'm happy for you guys. And I think, you know, as hard as some days are, yeah, I know that Kevin's in heaven. Yeah. Um, that's one of the first things when we started dating that, I asked him was if he was Christian. So I know he is in a much better place than we are. One day I will see him again. Did you drag him to church? I did for the first, you know, 10 years of our marriage. He would come at least to special events. Yeah. So when he stopped coming to that type of stuff too, it was kind of, it was a bummer, but yeah. at least once you're Christian, you're always Christian. <laughs> yeah. You know, he had his battles, but he did. you were there with them all the way to the end. And, able to, you know, continuously, I don't know, he was always reminded of God's word, I'd imagine, you know. He was, and you know, even when he was sitting in the garage drinking, Mm -hmm. he would listen to the Gaither Brothers or Elvis singing gospel music. And oddly enough, I came out there more than once in the last few months and he was reading the Bible. So I know he was searching for something. He just didn't want to hear it from us. Yeah. So... I believe it. So I know he's in a much better place. <laughs> Audrey, thank you so much for doing this. Of course. This was a tough topic, I bet, but I learned a lot from, I don't know, just from my friend Kevin and from your experience with him. And um, I'm really grateful that you came by to share this. So Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks. Audrey, thank you for sharing your story with us. Kevin will be missed, but I know brighter days are ahead. I'd like to thank our listeners for tuning in. If you know someone with a similar story or you would like to share your own story with the podcast, 
email me at recoveryedge2020 at gmail.com. Remember, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Podbean. Until next time, God bless and thank you all.